The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, here we are, and we are ready to go with yet another edition of our boxing show on what will be a huge Saturday all over the globe. Whether you're talking about what's going to be happening early morning U.S. hours in Japan, where Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, is back in action. Unified middleweight title fight that is ongoing uh, with Japan's Ryota Murata. That's going to be early in the day. Then later in the day, whether it's Las Vegas, San Antonio, uh, on and on down the list with all of these different fights and different shows that are taken on all over the place. We're all about it on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. I am merely the somewhat capable host, uh, TJ Reeves. Great to be back with you. Great to be back aboard here on the show. And I have been anxious. I have been anxious to start sharing the news. I didn't sing like Sinatra starts spreading the news, but I'm anxious to start spreading the news. And we're going to break it right here on the podcast that I have been in conversation. I have been in talks. No, it's not at the same level as the negotiation between Tyson Fury, Queensberry Promotions, and Top Rank Boxing trying to lure Dillian White out of hiding wherever he is to get him to come participate in their in their press conferences, promote the fight on social media. I don't know at this point if they're leaving like cookies and milk on the table. I don't know what they're trying to do. to ent- They can't get him to come out. It's not been that bad. But I have been in conversation with this man for the better part of March Madness, really, going through the college basketball. And, and by the way, he's a huge Duke fan, and he's taking it hard, but he's still willing to come on the podcast. You you know him. You're going to know this voice as you're hearing us, and you may see a clip of him with me uh, as well via social media. You will know this face. You will know him more for his coverage of the sport for 25 years plus. Dan Raphael is now with me here. Uh, on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, and we're ready to announce some things, my friend. First of all, how are you? Good to have you on the podcast, and I'm anxious for the future. How are you? I'm doing good. I am I am taking uh, the Duke loss a little <laughs> bit rough, but we know we haven't that we closed the the chapter on that on that book, and now we have opening day for the New York Yankees uh, as we tape this, which mm-hmm. I will be watching some of that ball game when we're done taping. Uh, I'm excited, and hopefully we'll have a good season. We can put that miserable Duke ending behind us. You have an ending for Coach K and Duke. You have a beginning for the Yankees. So you have that going on this week. Again, full disclosure, I was there last weekend as part of work duties with TuneIn um, and our college basketball coverage in the in the Final Four, Crescent City of New Orleans. Uh, what a dramatic, exciting Final Four. I know you don't want to hear this, but North Carolina no. coming back to win that game over Duke was as loud and crazy as I have heard a semifinal game in any it, of the It was a good Final Four, yeah. putting my own fanhood aside. It yeah. was a tremendous Final Four. I got to say one thing, though, TJ. You, you, you make me feel a little bit older than I am. You gave me 25 years on the boxing beat. It's only 22. Well, I, I, I tend to round up because <laughs> as the audience knows, and you have a son, I have 13-year-old almost 14-year-old twin daughters, and they want to round up. They want to be considered 14. Heck, they want to be considered 21 right now. They are big in the rounded up, in, in the upgrade well, in, world. In, in my son's third grade, one of the things in math we're working on now is rounding. So you're right about that. Yeah, we got to round up on these things. So I rounded you up to play on those words, to come aboard here and i'm excited to have you to any and all extent that you can participate in the podcast we've got big things ahead dan has agreed to also write for the site one of the most respected boxing writers that there's been over the last couple of decades 
So thank you. Thank you. First of all, I'm excited to have you. Uh, and, and the future begins now with a, with a great fight weekend uh, to start us off in April. Several big fights coming in the month of April. But give me give me your thoughts. I, I, I appreciate your willingness to listen, to try this. And here you are. I listen, I'm excited. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's nice to be wanted. It's nice to, to come to a place to, 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 to work with somebody that knows about boxing, that's shown it over the years that you've, you've uh, worked on your website and done a nice job doing that and uh, looking for a little bit of a, a little bit of, to beef it up a little bit. So I'm, I'm, listen, I'm pumped up. I'm happy to be at a place uh, where have the input of what we want to do, how we want to do it, uh, do things like the podcast with you. Uh, looking forward to getting cracking. Uh, and, and I, I love the, the TV show back in the eighties cheers. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Well, Hey, I want to go where everybody knows this guy's name. And again, he's a game changer for what we're doing here with the insight, uh, et cetera. And at the risk of buttering you up too much, and then therefore increasing your leverage even more with the financial deal, I'll probably lay off <laughs> gonna, all the We're going to have some fun is the bottom we, line. Oh, we're going to have a blast, uh, covering, all of this. And again, you've read Dan for a long time on ESPN, and I know you've done a bunch of different stuff, but one of the cool things that you have, and I've been reading this and have been around it is your sub stack that you have going. And I want to let the audience know right up front, Dan's going to be involved with big fight weekend, but your sub stack is going to remain there as well. The two are going to go hand in hand. And in particular, uh, your Substack subscribers, they're going to get service the same way. I have oh, sure. any concerns about any of that. You have built up a real following with that. I want that to continue. But, I mean, folks have been reading you there. They've been reading you on ESPN previously on USA uh, Today and their boxing coverage. So there is no more credible person to cover the sport and write and talk about the sport than the man that I have. So I, again, am thrilled to have you as part of this. And at the risk of it getting too sappy, maybe we should talk <laughs> about some other stuff. By the way, I should make mention that as we tape this podcast, the Yankee game is going on with the Red Sox. You do not have a Yankee hat on for those that cannot see us. Do you wear hats? I don't even know this. Do you wear Yankee hats? Will you wear a Duke hat? Will you wear a Yankee hat, a New York Giants hat? Do you wear hats? You don't have a hat. I, 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 I wear hats. I wear, actually, you know what I do is I wear a lot of boxing hats because I've been going to fights for so long that occasionally I would buy one. A lot of times they might give you one. There might be a pile in the press center. Um, so over the years, I've collected a number of uh, – my boxing hats. But what I do is when my teams win championships, the Yankees, Giants, uh -huh. Duke, and it's been a while, I always will buy the championship hats, but I, I put them on the shelf and make a nice display. So I don't actually wear them, but I do have a number of, uh, okay. of hats for my teams, Yankees and Giants and such. So, but uh, no, I'm not, I'm wearing blue Yankee blue, but not wearing a hat. All right. So, and I should share with the audience and if somebody sees a video clip, they will obviously see this, that I do this show out of my office, like Dan's doing his show, uh, doing the show out of his office uh, as well. And over my shoulder, Dan sees this. I have a couple of hats that are the Rays World Series hat from 2020. They beat uh, somebody's Yankees in the American League playoffs <sighs> to help win the AL pennant uh, that year. The Buccaneer World Championship hat is over my shoulder. I do not have the most recent Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup win. We're Champa Bay, babe. We're Champa Bay with the, these teams that have been winning the titles uh, as of late. I got so. no problem with the Tampa teams. I'm not a fan of the Tampa teams. Right. My ire is drawn by the Boston teams. I understand. And we hate we hate both equally, so we'll join with you on hating the Boston And then teams. pretty much other teams that are in the NFC East. Yeah. So like I have lived Eagles, for – Cowboys, the, right. 
and uh, Redskins slash Commanders. I have lived up? in the Was- Washington, D.C. What is up with Commanders? Area. What is up with yeah. Commanders while we digress on the podcast? Thumbs down? Thumbs down on yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, but it's 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 better than uh, the previous name. Washington um, football team? Yeah. I have lived in the Washington, D.C. area for over for since I started working at USA Today. So 20, 22 years uh, last month and have never been a fan of the Washington sports teams, but in particular cannot stand despise if it's not too strong of a word, the uh, Washington uh, national football league team. Yeah. Although uh, that the, the one exception I do make is, although I'm a diehard lifelong Yankee fan, having grown up upstate New York, um, I like the nationals. Like if I was not rooting for the Yankees, if it's the nationals, I'll root for the Nats growing up in the upstate New York area. The, the national team that I nationally team I rooted for as a kid, other than Yankees was the Montreal Expos, which coincidentally became the Washington nationals. I don't live very far from the stadium. I've been to many nationals games. So, you know, and they won a world series a few years ago. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a nationals, uh, mild. I'm a diehard Yankees, but I, I'll dig the nationals. Uh, they're my one Washington sports team that I can, uh, that I can uh, tolerate. We've got his fandom out there, including the Duke connection, which will probably come up at some point on a podcast uh, as well down the road. But we're here to talk about the fights and the boxing. I know one of the things that you're anxious to get into is this is some slate coming not only in April, but almost by design here. They've got a schedule rolling out through May through June with one significant fight, if not every week, at least every other week. I am amped to have you cover it for us on Big Fight Weekend. Talk about it on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Here we go starting with this weekend and moving forward, just as a general comment, Dan. Well, it's an excellent schedule. I had somebody hit me up on Twitter the other day uh, where I, where I made mention of, I forget what fight that I was uh, referencing. And, and the comment was, you know, it's too bad. Big fights don't happen in boxing. You know, they always happen in, uh, in MMA, UFC. Um, and and I, I responded not in a nasty way, but I was like, that's just a false narrative. It's just not true. You know, do we get every single fight that we want when we want it in boxing? Obviously not, but you don't get everything you want when you want in life. But the point that I made was over the, and this was just in a small period of time um, in no particular order or, or level of, you know, which was the best or worst, but over the next few weeks, uh, you know, basically between now and in, in the early part of the summer, you have Tyson Fury, Dillian White, assuming he shows up, you got next week's fight with Errol Spence and or Dennis Ugas, a terrific fight. You've got, you know, even on this, maybe not, to the mainstream, but for the diehards, a terrific fight. Uh, Stephen Fulton Jr. defending his unified junior featherweight title against the former unified title holder, Danny Roman. You have, um, you know, uh, just several quality fights. Canelo Alvarez, Canelo Alvarez against Bebo is a good fight. Now, I know Ryan Garcia is not in, when we'll talk about this, he's not in against a huge name, but it's great to have a, a young star of the sport back in action on Saturday in Ryan Garcia. Point is, there's one quality fight after another. The Showtime fight we'll talk about. Again, not a mega fight. Erickson Lubin against Sebastian Fundora is about as 50-50 a quality fight between contenders as you can get. Um, we just had recently the, the American debut of the very exciting junior middleweight uh, contender, Tim Zhu, who was in a tough, solid fight with a good mm-hmm. contender in Gachet, Terrell Gachet. So to say that the best guys aren't fighting the best guys, again, it's, it's just not, it's not reality. Um, there are plenty of excellent fights and many of them <laughs> happen to be taking place over the course of the next several weeks. And by the way, I didn't even mention another great fight I'm very excited for is the, the 130 unification between Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson that takes place on April 30th in Las Vegas. You have on the same night in New York, if you're a fan of women's boxing, one of the biggest women's boxing matches there's ever yep. been 
to for the undisputed lightweight title between the champion Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, who many would consider the number one uh, women's boxer in the world pound for pound, certainly in the top few. You know, has she's won titles in what seven different weight classes, or uh, you know, she's tremendous as a as a as a women's boxer. And Katie Taylor is you know always in good fights and undefeated. My point is whether you're a fan of the small weights, the big weights, the men's side, the women's side, um, you know, we're going to see also coming up in the summer, if you get as your women's boxing fan, Clarissa Shields going over to the UK to have uh, an undisputed fight for the, for the middleweight women's title against, uh, against uh, Savannah Marshall, who just scored a great knockout last weekend. So on both sides, in all weights, in, in various countries, uh, Galata, I mean, uh, Golovkin and Murata, uh, which I just made a mistake. You put them together, you have a Galata. You do have a Galata. <laughs> You do have a Galata <laughs> who was a Polish that, heavyweight and Riddick Bowe and the and the, arguably the most famous low blow disqualification ever for the melee afterwards. I love yeah, that. But that's a really good, you know, Murata and Golovkin is a good fight also. And it's also besides just the element of the unification, you know, it serves as the first hurdle to make the, you know, to finalize the, the deal is done. They got to win their fights is Golovkin has to take care of the business on Saturday. And then uh, next month you, you're going to have to have Canelo, Handle Bivol, and if that happens, we'll see the third fight between Golovkin and Canelo come Finally. Uh, September. Finally, so, if that's the case, you There's... know, it's I'd say this, TJ, it's a great time to be a boxing fan because it's on all different platforms and there's plenty of good fights. I know people grumble about pay per view and I feel the pain, believe me, but uh, you know, those are the you know, there's there's not really a great way to follow the sport if you're not willing to spend a few dollars on either a pay per view or on a streaming service at the zone an espn plus what have you a showtime subscription but um for the fights themselves we have a hell of a schedule coming up i can't wait there is no question about that uh you can't doubt that and, and you didn't even mention like charlo castano undisputed i know you know this I, uh, you know what you, you know there's so many of them you, you got to keep track of all the ones that are coming. i can't believe i forgot that i mean that's the that the point there is that's also a, another tremendous fight and on that on that uh you know same vein other showtime fights they have like even Again, not the biggest fight, but as a boxing fan, I'm interested. The eliminator between uh, Jaron Ennis, a great young fighter, against uh, uh, Custio uh, uh, Clayton from Canada uh, to, to determine a mandatory challenger. Even the undercards are running deep, and that's a beautiful thing. We love all of this. I love having Dan Rayfield with me on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. He's going to be part of the Big Fight Weekend website, the coverage of everything that's going on. We are, uh, it's kind of like Caddyshack, Bill Murray uh, extending the hand to Ty Webb. Buddies for life, I think. Buddies for <laughs> life, I think. Uh, which, by the way, we'll have to go over that at some point on the podcast because that was a completely ad-libbed scene from one of my favorite movies. Literally in the script, it says, Carl and Ty talk. That's all it says in the script for that whole scene. And if you watch like the director's cut, you get to see a couple of outtakes of the scene where they're saying different things because I'm this much of a, a mark for that movie and how great that movie was and the making of that movie. And by the way, speaking of fisticuffs and boxing and whatever, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase actually came to blows on the one season of Saturday Night Live that Chevy Chase was on it. And this was kind of like the peace offering that they made Caddyshack together. And that scene was the peace offering. So what I'm saying to you is uh, I'm extending my hand here, uh, buddies for life. And if you need me to cut Smale's hamstring right at the bottom, cut it right at the bottom, he'll push everything to the right. He'll slice. He'll quit the game, Dan. He'll quit the game. He'll push everything to the right. Now I'm quoting Caddyshack for the rest of the, uh, the show. A great movie. Oh, my God. What a movie. And it's a, it's, a, it's a scary thing that that thing is 40 years old now. 
that that movie is 40 years old. But in any event, it's great to have Dan here. So a little bit later on in the podcast here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, we'll get into a couple of specific fights. I just want to ask you a couple of news items. You mentioned the whole Tyson Fury, Dillian White thing. And the thing being Dillian White not not participating in the promotion of the fight, yet they've sold over 90,000 tickets for Wembley Stadium. Incredible. This is being done on the promotional back of Tyson Fury and his return to the UK. Okay, we don't know what's going to happen with White helping promote or not. He would be a fool with a capital F to not show up for the largest payday of his career by far and forego that. He's going to show up. We know that. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? We're a couple of weeks away. Humongous deal in the UK. Heavyweights are a different realm. We get that. What are your thoughts on all this? I mean, it is disappointing that he hasn't participated at all. I I know he's upset about the percentage that he was receiving in the purse bid, 20%, which is definitely lower than a normal split of a purse bid in the WBC. Uh, But it's not that unusual if it was some other organization where they often will use uh, um, a percentage based on what you've been making, you know, like the WBO, for example, will average your purses for your previous three fights to help it establish what the split of a purse bid is. So he's still receiving a huge amount of money because he, you know, based, if you compare what he's been making to what Tyson Fury has been making, they're not in the same galaxy. Tyson Fury has been making 25, $30 million type paydays in recent fights. And Dillian White at best has been making in the very, very low seven figures. So they're on different planets as far as the money goes. Um, so once once it was established, you have two choices. He's been asking for a long time to be the mandatory and to get the title shot, which he deserves based on his accomplishments, even though he did get knocked out not that long ago by Povetkin. He righted that ship by coming back and annihilating him in the rematch. But the point is, you know, once you have the fight, again, I'm not saying you have to go do 500 interviews and talk to every podcast and do every YouTube channel and, 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 and post on your social media every 30 seconds by no means, but, you know, maybe show up at the press conference, maybe do a couple interviews, you know, and then go train. And, you know, but the bottom line is, uh, like you said, he's going to make the most money he's ever made by all accounts. He's in Portugal training. Um, and I believe he'll be at the fight, whether he does anything before the fight, uh, who knows if he doesn't though, it's kind of disappointing because as much as it's Tyson Fury's show, this is a great opportunity and exposure for Dillian White also. You know, it does take two to tango. Tyson Fury may sell tickets, but he can't go fight himself in the ring. He needs an opponent standing on the other side to come and meet him in the center of the ring. And this is the opportunity for for Dillian White to also enjoy himself and take in and, and drink in the moment. It's his moment also. Tyson's the champ, but it's his moment. Dillian White's because he is the challenger, has the opportunity to win the greatest prize in sports. And it would be a shame if he goes through the entire promotion and never has uh, the op- or never takes the opportunity to give his story, to have his say so, to give his side of the equation. Uh, and it would be disappointing if he doesn't because he's doing a disservice not only to himself. Uh, forget about the promoters. They're big boys. They can handle it. He's doing a disservice to as many fans. Well, I thought it was interesting just on that point, and then we'll move on real quick. Tyson Fury talked about that in the kickoff press conference, which I know you were aware of, and you probably even wrote something about this yep. uh, as well, where he said, this is your legacy. This is a shot at the heavyweight title for your family, for your friends. Don't you, in your phraseology, don't you want to soak this in? Don't you want to be part of the pictures being taken, the video being taken? Because in Fury's mind, the fight's not going to work out so well for you, Dillian White. So you want to have the memories of being part of the buildup and all the all the stuff 
to tell the story later on in life that you were part of it because right now there's no record of anything of you being a part of he, it before the fight. Here's how petty here's how petty the Dillian White team has been about this entire situation. I did watch the news conference and I did write about it and they had a big banner, you know, and they put it on the artwork that they've distributed on social media. It's on the posters that are in the pubs and, you know, in the, in the closed circuit locations and that sort of thing. The image of Dillian White that's on the, on the, on the poster, the promoters had to go out and buy the rights to use his image because he wouldn't allow them to take his picture or use his photos. I've ne I mean, look, I, I can't say I've heard of every fight ever in the world, but in my career of covering boxing, like I've literally never heard of a boxer refusing to allow his image to be used to promote that guy's fight. It's not like they're trying to use Dillian White to help promote somebody else's fight. You know, and as an example, I remember years ago when Danny Williams, the British heavyweight, knocked out Mike Tyson. He then got a shot at Vitaly Klitschko for the heavyweight title coming off of that big gargantuan upset against Tyson. And the promoters and, and HBO pay-per-view, which were the ones that were uh, uh, producing and distributing the event, they, they couldn't use Tyson's image on the poster. There was a lot of back and forth legalities. So what they ended up with, if you ever go like Google the image of what's on the artwork of the poster and the, and the, and the images that were used to promote that event, you kind of see a guy sitting in the corner in the manner in which Tyson was knocked down by Danny Williams. And you kind of maybe think it's Tyson, but they wouldn't, they had a like real specifics of what they could use. Uh, legally, because he wasn't promoting his own fight. They were trying to use Tyson's image and likeness to promote their event. This is, Dylan White is the one being promoted. It, it's his, his right. opportunity. So for them, for the, for the White team not to give them permission to use his image, to use his photo, it's just preposterous. I mean, that's as petty as it gets. It's childish. It's immature. They're pouting the whole bit. Again, he stands to make, I believe I heard Frank Warren saying this, 7 million guaranteed, up to 9 million if he wins the fight. No, it's more. It's more than that. So more His guarantee that. is it's over 7 million based on the math. Yeah. The way that the purse bid works at the WBC, 10% of the winning purse bid, the promoter puts up. So Frank Warren, Queensberry, put up 10% of the winning purse bid, which is the winning purse bid was a little over $41 million. So a little over $4 million went into like an escrow account with the mm -hmm. WBC and that money. So then you take the 41 minus the four that that gets divvied up on the 80, 20 percentage, figure out Dylan White's purse over $7 million. But if he wins, he gets that 4 million that's in the escrow. So it's like the fight bonus. The WBC started doing that. Uh, I forget how many, maybe like four or five years ago where they would give uh, of the winning bid, they would hold on to 10% and the winner of the fight would get it almost as a bonus. So um, Dillian White has the opportunity to not only to make the greatest payday of his life of over $7 million, but if he wins, which he probably thinks he will, uh, he gets to add another four plus million dollars to his, to his payday. So the least you can do is, is participate fight week. We'll see if that is the case with all the sour grits. I mean, I heard some of what Frank Warren was saying, and I don't doubt this, that the only thing they've heard back and forth in the squabbling is they want more tickets to the event. They want clearance for more of his entourage, his security guards. They want more hotel rooms for those guys. He's like, they're, they're squabbling over everything here and he won't even help us promote the fight. So whatever. I think a lot of people's eyes glaze over Dan when they're, when they're listening to all of this especially when he's going to be paid as lucrative, lucratively as he is. 
Uh, and and let's make no mistake, everybody that's coming to see this is coming to see Fury's return as the champ who hasn't fought there in four years. And by the way, you know this, and for the audience on Big Fight Weekend that are big-time fight fans, he's never had a UK title defense because when he beat Klitschko is when he had all the problems away from the ring and relinquished all the belts. The other title fights have all been against Deontay Wilder in the United States. So this is the big deal. It's the homecoming title defense. He's the selling card. We get that. But just... Just participate at the at the bare minimum level, and he probably will. He probably will in a couple of weeks. Fair. Before we move on, fair. He's going to be there. He'll show up. I, I would suspect Something. he will be. I, I certainly hope so. And here's the thing about Dillian White. I mean, I can't profess to know him well, but I know Dillian a little bit. I've interviewed him a few times, and I've I've uh, I've uh, been around him a little bit when he, especially when he fought in America uh, back a few years ago. I hung out with him in the hotel. He fought on a Terrence Crawford undercard that Eddie Hearn was involved in uh, when. Uh, Crawford fought in Dongo, so they brought Dylan over to fight on the other card. And so I spent some time with him in the hotel that week. Real cool guy. Nice guy. You know, so I think it's a combination of his own irritations, but I also think it's some of the people that are around him that are giving him maybe the not the greatest advice. But to put a button on it, I do think that come uh, uh, come fight night, he'll be standing in the ring and hopefully we'll get a good fight. I expect it to be a good matchup. You know, some of this is a little surreal for me. You have to know this because I have been watching you for so long on ESPN and reading you. And now I'm hanging with you on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. I'm not trying to puff you up too much. I have to catch myself a couple of times that I'm not watching Dan Rayfield somewhere else on another interview or something that we're actually doing this on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, which I love. We haven't had you on as a guest previously, even though we've been doing the the podcast for three years. Uh, Again, now we're kicking this off here in this podcast that Dan's now going to have a relationship with us, with the site, uh, with me, with the site and, uh, and with the podcast. And I'm loving that one more. And then we're going to pause and and talk about the specific fights here coming up in just a moment. The uh, reporting that you've done is on the other heavyweight side of things, Alexander Usyk, who's been given permission uh, to leave Ukraine and, and leave the Ukrainian militia essentially uh, that's defending the country against the Russian attacks. And we could go for 15 minutes on that, but he's leaving with his family. He has left past tense with his family and his children is able to train and is now going to be fighting Anthony Joshua in their unified heavyweight title rematch. You did some reporting that the dates being kicked around in June may not be the case. Tell the audience on big fight weekend more what you have learned. If you would, sir. Sure. First of all, uh, just to be clear, he didn't actually need permission to leave Ukraine. Um, they did declare Mar. I mean, I, we're all becoming uh, experts on Ukraine as we see what's <laughs> unfolding. Uh, the so unfortunate situation there, but uh, when they declared martial law and they said every able-bodied fit male between the ages of 18 and 60 should not leave the country and needed to report to the defense battalion to help defend against the Russian invasion. Uh, one of the caveats to that was if you are a parent of at least three minor children, you can leave. And because Usyk has three children under the age of 18 with his wife, he was permitted to leave. Now, originally he decided to stay. And I guess after being there for a couple of weeks um, and with the fight situation as it is, um, made the decision uh, to, lo- to leave the country and to go train. And if you ask me, I've seen some people make comments like he's being uh, non-patriotic or he should be there like Lomachenko, who, by the way, does not have three minor children. He has two minor children, but and had gotten permission if he wanted to leave and do the Haney fight, he decided to stay. So for his own reasons, and Lomachenko and Usyk are very, very close friends. But the point is, for people to suggest that he's somehow not patriotic, again, in my opinion, 
having Alexander Usyk on the world stage as a heavyweight unified champion involved in a major global event like a rematch against Anthony Joshua serves to bring better attention to what's going on in Ukraine. He can speak out in the public about it. It does in general more, it brings more benefit to his people in his country than if he's just one of thousands of, of uh, men, you know, at a, you know, standing on a, on a, on a security detail or at a, at a, at a checkpoint or something along those lines. So, you know, I have no, uh, no issue with that, but in terms of the date, uh, originally this fight was supposed to be in the Mayish timeframe uh, or even April when the Fury and White fight was scheduled for April 23rd, there was no way that the other heavyweight fight was going to go in the same month. And that's the same reason why you don't see that in the United States usually for big events, because the people that put on pay-per-views don't want to saddle the consumer with multiple uh, pay-per-view purchases in the same month. Now, occasionally it happens, but not for big fights, certainly not on the caliber of the two heavyweight fights, which are you know, gigantic events in the UK where it's still, there's still only a limited number of dollars and, or I guess in their case, uh, uh, pounds to go around. So the idea was to separate them. So they were going to reschedule uh, that for the May or June timeframe. Obviously with Usyk taking on uh, the last, uh, you know, before he left to go start the training camp, he's been involved in this situation in Ukraine, involved in the military, doing his thing. Um, the combination of that timing, plus they haven't lined up the site deal yet. Now, if you listen to Eddie Hearn, and to Alex Krasiak, the promoter for Usyk, they talk about, Mel, maybe we're going to wind up in Saudi Arabia. Now, if they go to Saudi Arabia, one would assume it's going to be a similar circumstance to when Anthony Joshua had his rematch there against Andy Ruiz Jr. a few years ago. And what does that mean? That means they built a temporary outdoor stadium for the event. If you're going to need construction of a stadium, now they do it very quickly but June may be a little bit too much when the deal's not even yet done. So they need a little extra time uh, besides to allow Usyk to get himself together after what's happened in his country and to get back into the camp combined with needing to finalize a site agreement, as well as if that site agreement gets finalized for Saudi Arabia in particular, the possibility that would exist for the folks that bankroll this thing to build a temporary facility to house and stage the event Again, it takes some time. So therefore, uh, what, I, what I reported was instead of June 25th, the date on hold, uh, which is also on hold in, in, in the United States um, pay-per-view industry, uh, is July 23rd. And so, you know, to delay it by another month, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's life. So, you know, there's a lot more important things going on in this world than a heavyweight title fight. Oh, there is no doubt. It's heartbreaking stuff. It's awful stuff to see what's going on in Ukraine. The Klitschkos, who you covered for so long, are at the forefront here of speaking out worldwide to the media about the, the heinous things that are going on. Uh, it's a mess. It's a mess. And you're right. Usyk may have a platform here soon to speak out more as well uh, while he's trying to train for this fight. And it, it will just be interesting the only thing that I'm thinking, and I promise we're moving on to the Big Fight Weekend podcast to fights this weekend, Triple G, Murata, uh, the Lubin, um, uh, Fondura, Fondura fight on Showtime, uh, the, the Ryan Garcia to go fight uh, that is taking place at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. We're going to talk about all of those here in just a few uh, moments. Uh, but one more on this that I'm thinking of is when you're saying Saudi Arabia and you're saying Eddie Hearn. The only thing I'm flashing back to is all of the blather on and on about making a Fury Wilder fight in Saudi Arabia. And you know this. You lived this. You wrote about it. We were writing about it on Big Fight Weekend. It went on and you on mean, for you mean weeks. A Fury, 
A Fury Joshua fight they were talking Fury, about. Uh, Fury Joshua, I'm sorry. Yes, the Fury Joshua fight that Hearn was trying to make. Thank you for the correction. And it turned out it was going to be Fury's third fight anyway all along with Wilder because he couldn't get out of the contract. But anyway, the Fury Joshua conversation went on for weeks and months. Saudi Arabia this, Saudi Arabia that. Are we not concerned that that's the same thing here, and this fight well, end up in the UK again? Well, there mean, is a there's, a there's a there's a there's a difference for sure. I know Eddie Hearn gets a lot of grief from a lot of fans. I'm not going to lay any grief on him in terms of the Fury and the and the Joshua possibilities because they were, uh, you know, it was it was stipulated to them or told to their side that everything with this Wilder arbitration is under control. Don't worry about it. So it wasn't, he wasn't involved in arbitration. So all he can do is take the word of his partners that, okay, we're good. Let me go and try to make this deal. So when that happened and they had a deal done and literally like the day before it was about to like get announced, I guess, or signed, uh, the, the, the arbiter ruled in favor of Deontay Wilder and that blew up those plans. So again, we can blame Eddie for a lot of stuff. I'm not going to blame him for that one in particular, even though he did talk a lot about doing it, but in terms of it being the same situation, here's the reality. Eddie Hearn also spearheaded and got done a huge deal for a big site fee for the fight between Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua that did take place in Saudi Arabia. Um, my understanding is it's the same group that's uh, in the conversation. So they have some experience with each other. They did each uh, work with each other on that past deal and things went, uh, at least from my understanding, you know, very well. So it's, it's not quite the same thing. The other thing about it is it's not like he can just determine in the, in the first fight, it was only Eddie Hearn and Anthony and his team where the fight was going to be. They didn't have to ask permission from the Usyk team. They had made a deal, even though it was a mandatory, so there was no purse bid. In any event, they decided to have it at the at the Tottenham Spurs Stadium in London. Totally their call. Because Usyk was the winner of the first fight, the circumstances are changed. Even though he doesn't have final say, now it has to be a collaboration between the two sides. And the, the marching orders, I believe, in what their contract says and what they've all said publicly is, we have to maximize the money. So if they go back and do a fight in London or somewhere else in the UK, the number of uh, the, the, the amount of revenue that comes in based on the site is not going to be as great as what I believe they can achieve in a place like Saudi Arabia. That's the reason why that is coming up because they have an obligation as partners on this fight, as opposed to simply the Joshua side running the show to maximize the money. If you're, if you're Alexander Usyk, I mean, you don't care if you're, you know, you probably don't even, you'd rather not fight in, in the UK. So for him to go and play and fight the fight on a neutral territory like Saudi Arabia, and on top of that, get paid that much more because the money is so much greater. Of course, that's, that's the idea to do that. So that's the reason why that location is coming up in the conversations. And by the way, uh, again, Dan knows this because he's a, a, an ace at covering this th stuff and back and forth, but we just illuminate this for the audience. There was some delay in the agreement for the first fight because my understanding, and it's logical, was the Usyk side was trying to get everything ironed out for in the event we win and we mm -hmm. are the champion in the rematch, we want this and, and even right of refusal for this or for that or for whatever, and they finally got it all agreed to. Now they're in that position, the Usyk camp, to dictate some of this. For example, if they don't want the rematch in the UK, it would be my assumption, and maybe you're reporting you know different, it would be my assumption that he would have the right to veto where it is. And he could say, I don't want to fight him again in the UK, pick somewhere else. That would be I my think assumption. it's a matter though. I don't think it's a matter of I can veto the UK just to veto the UK. I think they would, they would have to show that there's more money here 
as opposed to there. In other words, if, if the projection, they know what they are. Look, they know what the gate was for the first fight because it happened already. So the receipts are all counted up. They know whatever fees and sponsors and ticket sales and all the stuff they generated out of the site uh, from the fight that was this past September. So they know that figure. So if they can come to, if the Hearn camp or the USA camp, vice versa, goes to the other side and says, you know, we can get X number of dollars, pounds, whatever currency you're talking out of Saudi Arabia or even Las Vegas or, you know, somewhere else around the world, um, they would have an obligation to go there. I mean, on the one hand, they're not they're not dickering around about what's the split, how many tickets do we get, how many. All that stuff was done in the first contract, which is why getting that first one was so complicated. The, the, the complication in getting this done is not really about that stuff. It's about we got to get the site situated. But also, remember, it was just about a week ago that Alexander Usyk was standing with a gun out of security detail in a war-torn country. So, you know, it took a little time to uh, get around that because if you remember at the time that that was occurring, uh, there was a lot of conversation on the, on the Joshua side that look, you know, we hope nothing but the best for Usyk and and his people and his country and his, and his family and everything like that. But we can't just sit and wait. So there was a movement that there was going to most likely be uh, a Joshua interim fight, not going to happen because of the decision that Usyk made to, to actually go through with the rematch. And so at the end of the day, it's just being, it's being delayed a little bit because of other circumstances, not because there's some crazy issue in terms of the nuts and bolts of, of the business side of their agreement. This man is putting on a clinic with the ins and outs in the heavyweight division, et cetera. Dan Rayfield now aboard with us on Big Fight Weekend and BigFightWeekend.com. Dan, hang in there. We've got more on the way. We're getting to the fights this weekend. We love to do when we preview things again from Japan uh, to Las Vegas to San Antonio and on and on humongous fights. We'll get to all of that coming up. Hang in there. But first, let me tell you about a sponsor of ours, BetUS. If you are looking to wager on any of these fights that we're about to talk about, not just for this weekend, but throughout the month of April, take advantage with a great offer we have with America's favorite sports book, BetUS and BetUS.com. They are offering a 125% match bonus for initial sign-up on their service. So you put $100 in, you get $125 back. $200 in, get $250 back to gamble with. All part of what they're doing at BetUS. Just use our promo code BFW. BFW for Big Fight Weekend on BetUS, America's favorite sports book for really the past three decades. You've got great odds on the fights. If you're looking to gamble on the Masters Golf Tournament this weekend, on the start of the Major League Baseball season, the hockey playoffs will be here soon for the Stanley Cup, the NBA playoffs, etc., all of it on BetUS. Again, 125% match bonus for initial deposits, for initial signups and users. Use our promo code BFW22. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. We are back in once more. It is my pleasure again to welcome back in Dan Refuel. And Dan has done a fantastic job for so many years covering the sport for ESPN. You know him mostly from there. Their written coverage, their video coverage, etc. A 
also USA Today, and you've seen Dan writing uh, freelance ring, ring TV, et cetera. He's got his Substack going. You definitely need to be on board under Substack.com and search for his name and the Fight Freaks Unite page that he has. By the way, Dan will also be involved with new podcast programming as part of Big Fight Weekend's podcast network that's coming. Stand by for that. We got all kinds of plans that we're unfolding. But you know what? The peeps are here to hear about the fights. And right off the bat, I know we're releasing this podcast on Friday afternoon. So depending on when you're hearing us, if you're hearing us later Friday, it's still in the preview mode. If you're hearing us Saturday, this has already happened, most likely early U.S. time, Saturday night in Japan. Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, back in action. Ryota Murata is the WBA's version of the middleweight title. Golovkin has the IBF version. All right, Dan, give me a thought or two on this. Golovkin has fought basically one fight in the last two-plus years. Murata has fought one fight in about two years. Golovkin just turned 40 years old on Friday, today, the day that we're releasing the podcast. What are your thoughts? How intrigued are you? I'm intrigued just because I'm happy to see Triple G back in, in the back in the ring. He's been just a great fighter for such a long time. Um, I just think about what his career, what people, what people's opinions might be if he had just got at least one against Canelo. You know that one; it's so big in his career. But he's still a great fighter. He's still going to be a Hall of Famer. And uh, you know, between the pandemic and his own desires just to take some time off, like you said, he hasn't fought for what'll be going on 14 months. And, you know, you know, since the Zaremeta fight, uh, which he scored four knockdowns, I guess it was total and scored a knockout. Um, and before that had been, uh, you know, a bit of a layoff as well. So it's good to see him back in back in the ring. He's 40 years old. Um, obviously, that's not the um, optimum age for a boxing world champion. It's unusual. Uh, matter of fact, my understanding is if he wins the fight against Barada, he would become, uh, along with Bernard Hopkins, the only fighter 40 plus to unify a title which Bernard Hopkins did when he was, I believe, 40, uh, 48, I think it was, or 46 when he when he defeated Babu Shumanov to unify titles in the light heavyweight division, which would be interesting for, for Triple G and Bernard to share that record also because they also share the record for uh, most consecutive middleweight title defenses at 20. Um, so it's going to be great to see Triple G back in action. Uh, you know, no fear of going to fight in Murata's backyard in, in Japan where he is a very big star because of his Olympic gold medal. Um, and Murata, though, also no spring chicken. It's not like he's fighting a 25-year-old or a 22-year-old. Murata's 36, even though he's only got 18 pro fights. Um, he's had an even longer layoff than Triple G. I believe he's been off since like it's sometime in mid-2020. So it's been a, a long layoff for both of these guys. Uh, I've seen the pictures from their from their weigh-in and on some of the, the pictures that have been uh, put out during the course of the week of the fight. I mean, they look in good shape. Uh, both guys are known to come to their fights in shape, so I don't have any concerns about that. You know, Golovkin spoke about this week about how even though it's been a long layoff, he's had multiple training camps. Because remember, this fight between him and Murata, TJ was supposed to be back on December 29th. The only reason it was postponed was because not the boxers had a problem or the promoters, is that the, the government of Japan was not going to allow – uh, any kind of capacity in the stadium for the fight because of uh, the outbreak of the Omicron variant of the COVID-19. So they couldn't have any, any uh, spectators. And this is the kind of fight that yes, they're getting lots of money from other revenue sources, but the live gate is still a major factor and they just couldn't put on the fight without it. So the fight was postponed and they thought maybe we could reconvene and do it in February. That didn't happen. Now it's here we are for the fight this weekend, but all that time, Gennady was training as Murata was for the fight in December. Then they were said, stay ready because we might have this fight in February. So he was also still in camp. And so 
they should both be in, in top shape. You just hope they didn't leave it in the gym, I guess, is the point, especially at that age. But Golovkin in his comments seemed to have taken to heart the words of John Banks, his, uh, his trainer, which is, it's one thing, train, but, you know, be steady. Don't overdo it. You know, be smart about how much you do and what you do. And, uh, you know, hopefully those, those um, words and that lesson came to heart to Golovkin and he trained hard, but didn't do enough to, to just make it where he overtrained, I guess is a way to look at it. So, you know, what's the expectation? The expectation like it is for every fight is a triple G knockout. But he's 40 years old, and I think there's real concern after seeing him fight a couple of years ago against Sergei uh, Derevyanchenko that he took a lot of punishment in that fight. I don't know that Murata can punish him the same way, but there's concern. You've seen this so many times, and I've followed the sport for so long. You can get very old very quickly, and now age-wise, he is very old at 40 years of age. That's my concern here, especially if this goes a few rounds is I don't know what Golovkin has anymore at 40 years old against somebody that can fight him back. That's the intrigue. That's what we're going to watch to find out. I guess my, my, my uh, comment on that, and it, you know, your, your thesis makes a lot of sense. I can't really, I'm not uh, debating it or denying it. I would only say that all of that is true. I've just never really thought that much of Murata to begin with. Uh, He's been a good pro and he's gotten kind of two lesser kind of, titles the way that he got them and 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 you know the the fact that they were wba regular titles at one point um again good fighter hell of an amateur but as a professional not not uh not on the same level as Golovkin. does he hit hard enough in your mind he hit rob brant hard enough and beat him does he hit hard enough for that to be a real deterrent and a a real challenge to golovkin or is that the great unknown here that he doesn't punch well enough maybe and and it's not it's going to manifest itself when we see this fight real quick i think that's more about what golovkin has than what murata has and i say that because whether murata was not a puncher in any way shape or form or he was a devastating puncher the reality is triple g who had hundreds of amateur fights and was an olympic silver medalist went on to become an all-time great professional uh, with a long track record of uh, you know 40 plus fights, never got cut, never got dropped as a pro or amateur, has by the estimation of many one of the great chins in boxing history. And so the idea that I mean, look, anybody can get hurt. You never know what's going to happen. But it just seems like he has enough to withstand whatever Murata can put forth because Murata is not known as his big knockout puncher. And Golovkin has been known as being one of the uh, sturdiest, most rock solid uh, guys in the, in the, in the game for as long as he's been around. I mean, this is a guy that went 24 rounds with Canelo Alvarez, who's a tremendous puncher and never budged. So maybe once, I mean, whatever the point is, you know, I have covered many, many Golovkin fights, you know, pretty much every one of his American fights, except the one that was behind closed doors. And I guess the first one he ever had here. Um, even went to England and covered the Kell Brook fight. My point is, whether I'm in ringside or on TV or whatever, go back and watch videos of the fights before he was even that well-known. You can't really find a fight where you've seen Golovkin, you know, staggered, wobbled, hurt, dropped, you know, even cut. Uh, it just, it hasn't happened. There's always a first time. And, you know, what's the old saying? Past is not, uh, uh, past is not prologue. But, you know, chances are, it feels like that it's going to take some kind of Herculean effort or some wildly crazy punch that Triple G doesn't see that's going to do any serious damage in terms of to knock him down or knock him out. So I just don't see that happening. Even if his skills have, have eroded a little bit, 
uh, I still think that Murata is not going to have enough to get over uh, the hump and, and, and actually win the fight. But again, that's why they get in the ring. We'll see. Uh, got it. I'll be up. I don't know about you, uh, TJ, but the, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of people ask me, when is this fight happening? Because the Japanese time change is so uh, stark from the United States in terms of the number of hours difference. 5, 10 a.m. Eastern time, the zone stream starts with the undercard. And, and then uh, 8, 10 Eastern time, for uh, the main event, approx- these are approximate times, but right. I'll be setting my alarm and I'll be waking up and watching. I will be the same thing. And I keep <clears throat> disclaiming this all the time. Whenever we do these podcasts, you may be hearing us on Saturday because we're in the preview mode for the other fights Saturday night in the United States. And you may already know how brilliant Dan is with the analysis and how idiotic I was with the analysis because you already know the result of the fight. So we'll wait and see how, how this plays out. You already know if you're listening to us later on Saturday, how it did play out and check out the website, check out bigfightweekend.com, check out Dan's Substack as well, because he'll have the updates on what happens in Japan. Is your guy there and contacting you? Was that the blink on the no. phone or no? You're good. It was my wife calling me. That's okay. Sorry. It's allowed. No sweat. All right. So now let's move on with the other two and we'll get it wrapped up. Here we go. Three, two. Now, so what we're also interested in, a couple of fights here in the United States, the return of Ryan Garcia, the very talented, up-and-coming, lightweight, 23 years of age, but he's been out of the ring for a while, uh, walked away for personal reasons, mental health reasons, by his own admission last summer of 2021 from a fight um, at that time that he was going to headline on DAZN. He then was supposed to fight Jojo Diaz, Joseph Diaz, last year, I believe in late November, broke his hand dan help me if i'm off if i'm off on all my details you'll correct me in a second Uh, so he broke his hand he's been shelved for a little bit with a broken hand but now ryan garcia back unbeaten top contender at lightweight fighting a little known african fighter that's got some wins but has not fought a bunch outside of ghana and outside of africa in emmanuel to go this bout headlining the golden boy promotions a show in san antonio how intrigued are you on ryan garcia back in the ring He's one of the biggest stars in boxing, uh, title or no title, and he's getting back after uh, about 15 months out of the ring. So I'm excited. He's, he's, he's a, a very exciting fighter. He fits in the picture with so many major possible fights in and around the lightweight division that uh, you have to be excited to see him back in the ring. You, did, you got your timeline right. He had the mental health issues. He withdrew from that fight. Uh, it was supposed to be against, uh, uh, you know, in an interim title fight, withdrew from that fight that was last summer. And like you said, was supposed to fight Jojo Diaz, uh, ended up having surgery on his injured hand slash wrist, uh, which put him in uh, rehab and out of the commission until, you know, a little earlier this year where he could really get back into serious training. Then they had to, you know, get the deal done and get a date and work out the site and all that. And so now we get him back in the ring in the Alamo Dome uh, in San Antonio. Uh, you mentioned about to go again, not a well-known fighter, but a credible, a credible guy, especially if you've been off for as long as Ryan has, and you've come off uh, an injury the way that he had, you know, to go is only loss was in his professional debut. So he's won, you know, 30 some fights in a row. Uh, even if it hasn't been against the top, top quality opposition. over the course of like 17 years, <clears throat> he's got 17 years as a pro lost the first fight. Of, I believe literally in like 2004, 2005. And for 17 years since hasn't lost a fight, which is wild. Right. And he hasn't had, you know, and for a guy that fought for 17 years, doesn't have that many fights, frankly, right. but sometimes uh, for fighters in Africa in particular, it's hard to get fights. Uh, but he's now, you know, look, he's with an American promoter in Lou DiBella. He's with an American manager in Peter Kahn. 
Uh, they've got him his most recent fights. The pandemic did not help, obviously, but they've got him on the right track. They've got him this opportunity. And again, as much as uh, boxing fans are excited to see Ryan Garcia get back in the ring, it's a great opportunity for Emmanuel Tego, who can, you know, we may not know him today, uh, but, you know, come Sunday morning, a lot more people might know him if he happens to score the upset. I mean, uh, you know, Ryan obviously is the major favorite. He's a talented fighter, a lot of speed, a lot of power. Um, showed a lot of grit and determination in the last fight he had against Luke Campbell in January of last year when he got knocked down and was able to get off the deck against a very competent and quality contender in Campbell and not just win the fight, TJ, but knock him out with a devastating yep. body shot. Yep. And the other intrigue about Ryan's uh, fight this weekend, besides uh, what may happen inside the ring, is, you know, with Ryan, who's a good guy, I like him a lot. I've known the kid since he was an amateur, but there's drama that goes around his uh, his career and his life. He has changed trainers. This is going to be the first fight. And it's not like he's been with a new trainer for months and months and months. And now they're going to the first fight. It's really been a couple of months, I guess they've been together. He has left the camp of uh, Eddie Reynoso. You know, obviously he was in the Canelo camp uh, and is now hooked up with Joe Goosen, who as much accomplishment as Eddie Reynoso has as a uh, multi-time trainer of the year and worth, you know, and a well-deserving guy for that. Um, and also an excellent trainer because it's not just Canelo that he trains. He has a number of quality fighters. I've known Joe Goosen for my entire career. Joe is one of the most underrated trainers probably in recent boxing history has made the, um, the decision to not go and try to have a whole ton of guys that he works with at once. He doesn't want to have a gigantic stable because he just, he wants to be able to focus on a smaller number of fighters and give them everything he has. And that's what he's doing with Ryan, who he's known by the way, for a very long time. He may not have trained Ryan as a professional, but when Ryan Garcia was a top amateur, you know, winning uh, numerous uh, amateur competitions, he trained for a period of time in uh, Joe's uh, Southern California gym. Joe worked with him a bit. And they've maintained a friendly relationship all along, even though they weren't working as boxer and trainer. And so when Ryan uh, decided to make the switch, Joe was, was willing to do it. And here's how you can tell how serious Joe Goosen is. If you know Joe Goosen, you know he's a guy that doesn't really want to – he's not going to um, force his will on you. But the one thing he will do is he wants you to come train in his gym. He doesn't yep. want to go pack off and go to the mountains or go to Big Bear, or go to New York, or go some, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, someplace that's not home. Come to his gym. He'll train. He'll give you everything he's got. In Ryan's case, he made the exception because of the talent that the kid has and his intrigue and what he can make him into. He, he left his gym and went down the coast to uh, San Diego to train Ryan. Now, granted, it's not that far away from Joe's home, but he's not with his family and he's not in his gym and his assistant's got to help with some of the other guys that Joe works with. So he made the decision. Uh, I'm sure some of it is financial, but some of it I'm sure also is just the intrigue of what, what can I do to help get this guy to the next level? And so he left home. That tells me how serious Joe Goosen is about Ryan Garcia's uh, talents that he would uproot himself and, and go down to that kid's camp uh, for this training. No doubt. So that's the main event, golden boy, uh, Alamo dome <clears throat> Saturday night. And to your point, I just saw an interview with Goosen on the, uh, the final press conference set where he said exactly what you said. I don't do this anymore. I don't leave my setting in my gym, but I did that for this kid. Cause I believe in this kid when he was 17 years old. And he even said, I tried to sign him at that point and we couldn't get it worked out. And now it's interesting that it comes back around that Ryan called him. He said, I was not expecting this. I got a phone call that said, 
said, would you train me? And he said, it didn't take me very long at all to say, yes, I will come to you and I will train you. So let's see what, if any impact that's going to have in that main event. Dan Rayfield with me, just a few more moments. It's the Big Fight Weekend podcast. We're going through Saturday. The fights that are going on on Saturday, we'll be writing about these before and after on the website. How intrigued are you by the Showtime PBC main event, Junior Middleweights, the towering inferno, 6'6", and 154 pounds. Now, you don't know this about me, but I'm about six foot four, and I'm lanky, I'm thin, I'm nowhere near the fighter that Sebastian Fondora is. But it is definitely an oddity to see a 6'6", 154-pounder. And so that's what he is. He's fighting a solid uh, middle 20s, 26-year-old Erickson Lubin, who's won some fights. How intrigued are you by this Showtime non-title main event that's going on late Saturday night? I think he's actually 6'5", but who's counting? And even that's yeah. very tall for a junior middleweight. But, no, I'm intrigued. I mean, this is, you know, other than the, than the element of the unification in the, uh, in the, excuse me, in the Triple G fight, this is probably um, the most interesting matchup of the weekend. Um, not to downplay the other matchups, but, you know, Ryan is a giant favorite over to go. Um, but Lubin and, and Fandora, you know, it's – it's maybe not exactly 50-50. I think maybe Lubin deserves to be the slight favorite. But the point is, these are two worthy guys. They both are sort of stuck uh, in, in line, not getting a title shot because of the fact that you have Charlo and Castaño doing a rematch for the undisputed title. So therefore, the WBC made the interim title available because both of them have already fought eliminators. It will put them in position to fight the winner of Castaño against Charlo. Um, in any event, it's it's just a good matchup. You have the the experience and and the overall technique and punching power of a Lubin uh, who's on a nice run won six fights in a row since that one loss he took in a first round knockout to Charlo years ago in his first title shot which even back then it was in my opinion that it was too soon for him to be in that caliber of a fight he was 22 years old he paid the price with a KO1 uh, but he's got himself together he's won some nice fights since then um, and then it's so it's that those elements of the of the Lubin background against Fandora who is not maybe as experienced professionally, doesn't have necessarily the caliber of victories, but has such an overwhelming physical presence that it's complicated. It reminds me, and I'm not saying talent-wise, but just in size-wise, to talk to boxers that would go into the ring who were excellent fighters, and maybe they were fighting a guy that wasn't as talented as them, but were facing uh, Nikolai Voluev, who was seven foot one or two as a mm -hmm. heavyweight, that it's you may be six, five, six, six, and you're fighting a guy that much bigger. It's just a shock to the system. I met Nikolai to, to go on a tangent real quick. Yep. I met Nikolai Voluev once many years ago. He was a guest of Don King at a card that I covered in Cancun, Mexico. And I was on the beach in Cancun where they did the weigh in for Nate Campbell. Uh, um, when he won the lightweight titles against uh, Juan Diaz in the main event, then I was a heavyweight fight between uh, Hasi, uh, between uh, Oleg Maskaev and, um, and uh, Samuel Peter, when Samuel Peter won the WBC title. So anyway, Voluev was at the weigh-in, and he's the largest human being I've ever met in person. <laughs> he just, like, you shake his hand and swallows your arm. So right. the point is, if you're now Erickson Lubin, and you're a normal-sized junior middleweight, and you step into the ring against a guy that's, you know, again, Nikolai Voluev was not, like, he was heavier than your normal heavyweight, but not, like, 500 pounds. He was, like, you know, bordered on 300, which is still big. But if you're, you know, that tall... It's a shock. So now you have Lubin going in and he's going to be fighting a guy six foot, you know, five. It's a shock. 
And so you have to figure out how do I deal with this? How do I get around this? And by the way, not just six, five, who doesn't know how to fight. Erickson Lubin does have some skills. He does have some talent. Now he doesn't always use his height and reach advantage to his advantage. Sometimes he fights a little shorter. Um, he's learning. He's still a younger fighter uh, in terms of his experience. Fundora. But, you said Lubin, but you mean Fundora. I'm in, I'm in Fundora. Yep. yep. Erickson Lubin's going to have to figure out how to handle that, that, um, just wild size d differential. I'll say this, Fondora has gotten hit a lot in his last couple of fights. So it's not as if he's not accessible, even at that height and with his reach. He's Because he doesn't use the height to the best yeah. of his... Uh, he doesn't use it the best as he should. I thought so, I, th I thought it was interesting. Lennox Lewis was doing one of his fights, either his last fight or his second fight, and Lennox Lewis said, somebody's got to tell this kid, take one half step back. If he takes the one half step back, you can't get to him because of the reach. He's a half step too close. You can get to him. So maybe it's as subtle as a half step that we're watching for in this fight with Lubin. Yes, real quick. I think Lennox Lewis's point was well taken because that's exactly right. He has not, even though he's winning, he, he's winning in a manner in which the reasons he's winning is not because he's utilizing the great physical gifts that he has, which is height and reach, which in boxing, if you can reach the guy with your arms and you have a way to not allow your opponent to get to you, that's, that's a hard situation to overcome. If you can land on the guy, but the guy can't land on you, you should win your fight, obviously. Uh, Fandora needs to learn how to use those attributes a little bit better. Uh, that's why, to me, you know, he has still so much room for improvement. The question is, can he do it in time to blunt whatever Erickson Lubin has, who's got a lot of experience, has, you know, a, a great trainer in Kevin Cunningham that I'm sure has been studying, studying, studying uh, the videos available on, on Fandora. And but it's just it's a good matchup. I mean, it's it, it's not for it's not for, uh, you know, pound for pound or something like that. It's going to it's an interim title, not a real title. But the bottom line is should be a good, fun, interesting matchup uh, on Showtime Saturday. All right, we'll have fun with that. The ESPN Top Rank Show has Michaela Mayer defending her titles. Uh, Jennifer Hahn is the opponent. She's an older American. Full credit to her. She has given birth not once but twice, I believe I have this correct, to children. Women are tougher than us, Dan. Your wife's a mom. My wife's a mom times two with twins. They, they've given birth. They're tougher than us. And the fact that this woman's given birth and she's in a boxing ring too, boxing ring may be tame compared to that. Good luck to Jennifer Hahn. Michaela Mayer is supposed to win. It's a main event for her. Costa Mesa, California. We'll see how that one plays out. A, a quick thought on that before we wrap it up. Well, I saw just this week uh, in, in, in the days leading up to this fight for Michaela, top rank gave her a contract extension that they worked out to keep her uh, with the company that has had her since she turned pro after her appearance in the Olympics. Uh, and top rank doesn't have, you know, top rank is picky and choosy about the kind of fighters and who they sign. And she's the, to my knowledge, she's the only female boxer that they have under contract, but She's an excellent fighter. She's learned so much from Al Mitchell, her trainer. They're a great team. Um, she has the potential. I mean, I think she's going to beat Han. Uh, her last fight that was in November against Hamadouche, which was to unify two of the titles at 130. I was at that fight. It was the night before uh, Canelo's fight against uh, Kayla Plant. It was one of the best, if not the best, women's boxing match I've ever seen in person. They were just slugging out. It was like a, I, I called it like a women's Gaddy Ward kind of fight. Um, but Michaela also has boxing skills. And if she wins against Han, it keeps her in position. And I think top rank knows this. She's a 130-pound champion. Uh, the big fight in boxing uh, besides Serrano and Taylor would be for Michaela Mayer to fight the winner of that fight, be it at 135, you know, or maybe in the middle. But uh, the bottom line is they're in. she's in and around the same weight class where some of the other biggest names in women's boxing are. 
And so there are big fights for her. She just has to keep doing what she's doing. Win the fights, look good. She's been talking it up. She wants to unify other belts. She wants greater glory. And, uh, you know, this is, that's, this is the first step of that with the new contract in hand. Love that. We'll see her in the main event ESPN top rank show coming Saturday night as well. Man, we have covered a bunch. You've given me so much time. Again, I circle back to what I said at the beginning. Thank you. Thank you publicly. Dan and I, again, have been talking for several weeks now about how we make this work, how it comes about. And the, and the words I wanted to hear came a couple of weeks ago. I'm in. We're going to work it out. I'm in. So I love that. Despite his Duke Blue Devils, please do not hold me responsible. Despite his Duke Blue Devils not getting it done, I thought that might kill our deal that you were just going to be in a bad mood for the rest of april that did not kill it despite the blue devils not getting it done in the college basketball game with with north carolina um that's okay we move on with life coach k is retired because again this guy is a huge duke fan as much uh, you know you, you go back and forth with people as much as you're a yankee fan and a new york sports fan uh you're you're a duke guy too um so yes thank you for not holding me responsible on that i'm thrilled to have you i'm thrilled to have you participating on the site and on the podcast big big things to come folks however and wherever you're founding it finding us make sure you subscribe here to the big fight weekend podcast and podcast network it's all the same feed make sure you're on board because dan you're going to be doing fight freaks unite stuff on this podcast we're going to have other people that are going to be involved with podcasting etc video component coming down the road lots of big plans on the site. So thank you. Thank you again publicly for being willing to take part in this. And I hope it's the beginning of, of what's going to be a fun time, a wild time covering a sport that you and I both love one more time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for the fights. I'm excited to get cracking and uh, happy to be here. Love it. There is Dan Refio. One more time. Thank you to him. Thank you for finding us. Follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts to this podcast feed. Read the site, bigfightweekend.com. Find Dan's Substack, like he needs me to help him promote. He's doing a great job on his own. But go to Dan's Substack, substack.com. It's Fight Freaks Unite. Go check that out as well. Uh, and he is going to be writing and participating on our site as we go. What a great month of boxing we're going to have in April. And it kicks off this weekend. Thank you for being with me. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, Dan, one more time on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Bye.